we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm your host, Simone Roche, and this is the We Are More season of the Northern Power Women podcast. Well, I'll be chatting to our winners, our commended, and the partners of the Northern Power Women Awards, doing what we do best, showcasing, spotlighting, and waxing lyrical with the fabulous role models that we meet, come across, and want to celebrate. We're so proud here that the Northern Power Women Awards are the largest celebration of gender equality in Europe, and I created them to highlight the amazing impact that individuals, organisations, teams and services are having whilst accelerating gender equality and wider inclusion from up here in our fabulous north. Over here at Northern Palm HQ, we are really passionate about continuing to build this community who are working together to create a more inclusive, kinder uh, working world. And someone who has been doing this for decades is my next oh, guest. I know, that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just read that he's going to not like me for that. <laughs> Nazir Al-Salobi. Nazir was our first ever winner of the Disruptor for Good Award, which we created in loving memory and honour of the late Professor Jane Turner, OBE. Nazia was the Chief Crown Prosecutor for North West England and formerly the Director in London. He was Chief Executive of the country's Police and Crime Commissioners and most recently National Advisor to the Welsh Government. During this many years of his career, has prosecuted the most high-profile cases in the country and advised on many others and led nationally on uh, several legal topics, including violence against women and girls and child sexual abuse and honour-based violence. He had the responsibility for more than 100,000 prosecutions each year and one of these prosecutions of the so-called Rochdale Grooming Gang and hundreds of others were groundbreaking and changed the landscape of child protection, which are much, much documented. I know Nazir has won many, many accolades. I don't know how many shelves he's got. And in 2005, was awarded an OBE by our late Her Majesty the Queen for his work. Uh, and he's also had the honour of being the only lawyer to ever prosecute a case before the Queen. Uh, Nazir was also selected for the Asian Power 100, along with the Muslim Power 100 list, recognised as one of the 100 most influential leading Muslims and Asians in the UK. And he is now the newly appointed Chancellor of the University of Manchester and a trustee of the World of Women Foundation. And he's also a, an acclaimed author... Uh, with The Prosecutor, published in 2020, currently being adapted for British multi-part drama. Can't wait for that. And his new book, brand new book, The Race to the Top, has just been published. Put details of all of this in probably the longest ever show notes we've ever done uh, and available online. And- I know, I was, I was thinking, we we'll have no time for the podcast at this rate. <laughs> and, and do you know what? The thing is, I know I've only scratched the surface with you, Nazir, um, because everything that you've done, I always feel is so impactful and just so much about purpose. So thank you so much for joining me today, no, Nazir. Simone, I mean, when you gave me, strange as it may sound, when you, when you gave me the Disruptor Award last year, that's the first time I saw myself as a disruptor. 
Strange, and you know, it was not a term I used, uh, but it absolutely encapsulates what I do, which is, which is, you know, I don't like the status quo. I don't like the fact that uh, people keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Uh, I'm always there, offering challenge and offering support and offering ideas, and and also being an advocate for other people who have ideas. So yeah, absolutely, disruptor was the. The, you know, strangers it took 59 years to get that label, but it's absolutely the label that I recognise now. But I also recognise convener. I like bringing people together, and I think that's um, something I, I will hopefully do more of in the future. And I think that language is really important. When we were coming up with a title, so when I was speaking with the late Professor Jane's uh, husband, Jason, you know, we were talking, and it was like, you know, actually, what's the word? Is it inspiring? Is it this? And actually, I took the words from a podcast I did with Professor Jane, which was about disruptor. But what we chose to do was put the word for good on the end of it. It's a bit like we talk about using your power for good. Interesting, you say you didn't really see or identify as being. A, dis- a disruptor no I didn't you, you gave you gave me uh, you know, the award gave me a label that I, I actually think does represent what I am um, and you're right that, you know, I don't think you need the for good but it, you know I, I see why people might see disruption as a negative there are lots of words that, that have you know negative connotations but I think disrupting on itself on itself is a good thing it's it's offering challenge to people who who are set in their ways or who may not even have... Com- you know, one of the issues with, with, with um, decision-making, Simone, is that you have the same people around the table who think like you, who, you know, you, you appoint maybe because of loyalty. You know, I'm not thinking about the government, by the way. You know, and and you, what you don't have is somebody saying, hang on a minute, is that the right thing to do? And that, I think, is what all of us should aspire to. And, uh, you know, absolutely right. That, I think, is disruption. For good. And I think we all need that. Is that critical friend, isn't it? It's that same thing is what we need. And, and what, you know, so everyone out there, we all sit and watch our TV or, or listen to the news or, or, or sometimes not for, for that, for the, for the matter, actually. But um, how does someone think, well, actually, I can be that disruptor? Who's, you know, how can I get that seat at the table? How can I be heard? Um, I, you know, especially sometimes when it's easy to be shouted down, you think, oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get trolled. I don't want to do that. How, how, how can we encourage people to to use that voice i'll tell you i'll tell you what, one of the things that i've learned the hard way is that you need to always have evidence for what you say so uh, don't i mean this the world we're in right now you know everybody has an opinion and very often they say their opinion trumps your facts you, know, you might have facts and they will say well actually my opinion is more important than your facts you know um that doesn't stand up what you need to do is make sure you do your research make sure you've thought about what it is that you want to say, what it is that they are going to say, what your response. So you're absolutely ready beforehand. It's almost you know, strategizing every conversation you're about to have. And that, I think, really means that when you go into that conversation, you do so from a position of strength, never from a position of weakness. Too often, I'm afraid, you, you think of something to say because you don't like what, what's happening. And, that, and then they, they knock you down because you haven't thought of something that they may have thought of. And then your fantastic idea is lost because they've already, you know, they've already poo-pooed it before you've even had an opportunity to generate it properly. It really is about evidence. You know, I will, there are lots of occasions in which people have said to me, Nazir, what do you think? And I say, I'll come back to you. Well, the easiest thing, to, Simone, would have been to say, blah, 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 you know, what I think. Um, so actually, you know, taking your time, doing your prep, uh, making sure also that you you've done your building ally thing you know if you're in a, if you're in a, let's say a board meeting or a, a meeting with a group of people uh, don't be the only voice 
you might you might in fact prior to that meeting have reached out to a couple of people to sound them out on what it is you want to say they may then be supportive already or already suggested things that could improve it and so when you go in that room and you're not the only person you know for a fact there'll be at least one or two other people that will think like you and then when the conversation begins they'll join in and suddenly you have you know, a group of you who feel this way or a group of you so i think it's really about be much more strategic about the conversations you have uh, and not going in gung-ho uh, and thinking that's that's the approach you need to take because you've got to also have you know as i say allies proper research done properly evidenced at the end of the day if your argument is strong it'll win and what you're saying now is that you know i'm reading that is that advice can fall into any situation whether you're preparing for a school debate whether you're preparing for to go in and present or pitch something whether you actually just have a disagreement with something that's going on and actually I want to change the culture of this environment that I'm currently in it's 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 you know you're not a lone voice are you and, and I think can I give you a really good example I just I just came to me 10 years ago when I was when I was chief prosecutor um the, Theresa May was made home secretary she just became home secretary since 2010 and and I thought, right, what is she interested in, justice-wise? Because she'd never shown any interest in that. So I did my research and found that she had taken a cause. There was a, a stalking victim that was murdered in her constituency. And so some years before that, she had been really upset about this and said, you know, we need, we need to do something about stalking. But she'd never said anything more about it. Having read that out, when I, when I had my first meeting with her, I reminded her how passionate she had been about stalking and harassment. And I said to her, do you want to meet with a group that, that supports victims? She goes, yes, 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 of course I do. And she then met with that group run by Alexis Bowater and others. And two years later, she changed the law on stalking. So she, it was not even on her radar, but it was something that she was passionate about. So you, you can do some research about the people... I'm not. I'm not saying stalk them. Uh, you know. I'm saying you know publicly available information about what somebody might be passionate about or somebody might have shown an interest in, and then use that as a lever. And then the greatest thing after that, uh, Simone, was that she always kept coming to me for for different bits of advice in, informally you know there are obviously formal me mechanisms by which you meet a minister but informally through her office she was saying is it what do you think about honor-based abuse you know that kind of stuff because we'd built a relationship of sorts you know not, not the strongest but you know of sorts and that was largely just being you know th just thinking out loud or thinking you know, with some detail as to what she might want You've got to know what they want to. And it's that, it's that connectivity, isn't it? It's that, there's, like you say, there's so much information out there, you know, that, you know, even if it's a, a work-based or it's a, it's, it's a campaign that you want to drive, you know, whichever, whether it's LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a great thing, or, or actually just put it into Google. You can find so much information. And we're, we're not private anymore in the way perhaps that we used to be. And that, that, you know, there's no going back, I'm afraid. People think, oh, we'll close it down, blah, blah. No, no, no. Somebody somewhere has said something and written something about you, or you yourself have. Uh, some of it comes back to haunt you, so be careful about what you write. Uh, but at the end of the day, that is useful intelligence for you, and you should do that intelligence. You know, it's not about being, um, you know, finding out where, where their bodies are buried. You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's you. We need to know who we are talking to or who we're engaging with, because then we can tailor our message accordingly, as I did with Theresa, back, Theresa May back then. Tailor your message to what they are interested in, rather than what you want to tell them, 
which, uh, you know, we do more often than not, we just go in with our own advocacy and think that's going to make the biggest difference. But actually, if they're not interested, they're not going to listen. And I'm, I've just written a phrase and I've just made it up now. It's intentional curiosity is what it, it strikes me as. It's, you know, it's not about going, like you say, I'm going to catch someone out. But it is that something that, let's face it, how many emails do we get? How many things that, you know, you've just come back from Rome speaking at the Amazing Win Conference. You know, you have so many conversations. You have, there's so many things that you have been so impactful and you know achieve so much but there's probably a whole other load of stuff that there's stuff that you think oh god I wish I could have done a bit more on that or you know so sometimes for someone to give you just that little bit of connectivity back to something that it brings it back to life so 100% I I call it professional curiosity intellectual you know and I I sometimes accuse institutions of not having enough of it so just you know talking about child protection um, you know, a, a, I don't know, a professional working in that field needs to listen to the, the, the potential victim or the, the victim, listen to the perpetrators, and then respond. Sometimes, unfortunately, they don't ask the right questions. Or, or more importantly, listening is not just about what they say, it's about what they don't say. So, you know, the silences or, um, you know, the, the kind, the occasions when they are reflecting before they answer a question they are perhaps as important as what they say so the lack of professional curiosity is what lets us down too often actually we we just um we accept sadly what people say uh, and and that means that we put people in danger because we don't respond accordingly we're not we're not looking at the gaps in what they have said you know i, I was asked yesterday when i was at the win conference i mean the great thing about this i need to share this with your listeners i in 25 years the women's international network has been going it's an international network based out of switzerland and that was the last last night or night before last they gave me the first award for a man in 25 years you know, and I, I was absolutely blown away. But then some woman said, we only gave that to you because you can do more than one thing at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very low bar for men, uh, very, <laughs> very generally. But we, we talked about trust because that's what's lacking right now uh, across every field. And, and I said, there are three things you need to do to build trust. One is truth. Um, because fake, fake news, deliberate lies, you name it, uh, unfortunately have infected um, our society. But truth is first. Second is transparency. Um, you know, when we hide things or when we, when we say, come, come back to us in a few months' time after we've carried out an inquiry or an investigation, whatever it is, uh, in the meantime, people will fill that vacuum with all their rubbish. There was a really good example just two days ago of some really good transparency. Uh, in London, there was a young man called Chris Caber who was killed by police um, uh, two or three weeks ago. And there's been a lot of rioting and well, a lot of disorder about this and a lot of upset about that. And what the new commissioner of the Met, uh, Mark Rowley, did was he invited the family in and showed them body the body cam uh, unprecedented showed them what the police had captured on their body camera and 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 the family then have said okay well now we're now going to give you space to carry out your investigation rather than wait what would ordinarily have happened simone is they would have waited six months produce their inquiry and nobody would have any faith in it so transparency is the second thing being open also linked to that admitting when you're wrong and uh, when you know i've done that several times and people need to recognize it's a strength not a weakness and the third thing is keeping your promises you know you asked me to be on this podcast i will be on this podcast they asked me to be in rome it was the toughest thing to do for 24 hours i was in rome you know people if you make a promise if you commit to something you must carry out that commitment and the same thing applies to things that you ask people tell you to do so if say to you i'm going to do this document for you or prepare this whatever it is and they choose not to do that or don't think it's important you'll never forget that you'll never forget that so trust is about truth 
transparency and keeping your promises. And if you do that, I think we'll be in a so much better place across society. I couldn't agree more. And I think any everyone can take that up. Every, you don't have to be at the top of your game. You can be, you start your career out, you start your business out with that intention, then, you know, it's going to put you in, in, in a really good place. And, you know, you, we talked about advocacy. We talked about advocacy a lot on this podcast. And, you know, you, a man being awarded with an award, a woman, you know, we from day one have always been all gender it's been really important to me because you know um you know and Matt you are someone who has always shouted loudly for the rights of women and girls you know um why was that something that has been so embedded and entrenched with you your behavior you know I I, I, they ask I I, when you go I don't normally have time to reflect but when I was in Rome um obviously the the conference is fantastic but I was literally literally around sitting around reflecting because people ask me this question over and over again why are you so passionate about women's rights uh, and I always, my usual answer is women's rights are human rights you know why should I differentiate but actually you know, it, you know my first in my memoir the prosecutor I wrote about the fact that my eight-year-old cousin died in my arms um, I was eight at the time she was eight and I carried her for four hours on a on a, on a uh, but you know, on effect, on a bus or van back into England, and I looked at her and I thought, I could do nothing to save you, and I, th- I have no doubt that had, that played a part. Then I had my um, phenomenal mother. Uh, we, you know, we, uh, we, you think about your role models. Uh, you know, she passed away just a year and a half ago. Strangest thing, actually, uh, Simone, when, when, because she passed away during COVID, but not from COVID. She was the same age as the Queen. In fact, a little Queen story. When I got my uh, OBE from Her Majesty, she asked me. Uh, who was with me, and I said, my mother, who's born in the same year as you, and she, and she goes, oh, so that's your queen. And I, th- I really had no way. <laughs> why, what do you say to the queen when she's called you? Anyway, I couldn't do that. Anyway, so when, when my mother was passing, was really ill. She was, pallet- she was receiving palliative care, and she was at home. And because of COVID, I couldn't visit her. And I, 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 went, to, I went every week just to massage her legs and chat to her, you know, while, while she was, you know, preparing for the, the journey that she went on. And then, I, amazing thing, I noticed for the first time in all of my life how small her feet were. She had size three feet. And I, I thought, how is it that I've never noticed that my mum had such small feet? And do you know what I said? What I, what I realised is that she was a mountain to me. So I, didn't, I never looked at her feet, you know? Uh, and so she had immense presence in my life, and she, you know, clearly uh, had a massive impact, way beyond anybody else, I imagine, in in making me realise how important uh, it is that you know equality is important, how important the women in your life should be. And I think so. And then more recently, in the last twenty, thirty years, you know, victim survivors uh, have come to me. I'm immensely privileged they've shared with me what they're going through and what experience they've had. Um, and, you know, you cannot not be touched by that. Well, you could, I suppose, you could just brush it off. But no, you know, the, the, I listen, when I listen to somebody telling me that somebody, some 78-year-old woman told me that she was abused when she was seven and she'd never been able to tell anybody or, or was believed by anybody in all her life. And I was thinking, for 70 years, nobody listened to you. Well, I'm listening to you. You know, uh, and I, th- that so for me it was immense privilege that they did that. All of, when you hear all those stories, Simone, how can you not 
feel that something needs to change. You know, when I was when I was in Rome, uh, do you remember the story of Galileo? Here's some history for you. Uh, Five hundred years ago, Galileo uh, was 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 um, persecuted because he said that the Earth is not the center of the universe. The Earth is in in the solar system. The Sun is the center of the solar system. And of course, the Church at that time didn't believe that and wanted to have a go at him. I think men are in the same position. Men think that they are the center of the universe. And we need our Galileo moment, you know, to recognize that we're not, that pretty much all of the uh, things that we are concerned about are, may, are sadly, male, you know, male violence drives um, the abuse that we mentioned. Misogyny and sexism drive so many of the behaviors that we've talked about. Racism, as I touch upon in my new book, or, you know, uh, deny people potential. Um, so once we, once we begin to firstly accept that these prejudices and these bigotries are wrong, then we, when, then we need to work together to get rid of them. And you know, I remain committed, as committed as I ever have been to this area and will, will be, uh, but I need allies like you and others. And I think that's where we all, allyship is so important. I'm always a big fan that actually you don't, you know, it's not about advocating for one group. You're such a massive advocate for, um, for women and girls. Racism, and you've suffered relentless attacks. Has there ever been a time where you've just wanted to go, I'm out? Uh... Yeah, I think you mentioned the Rochdale Grooming Gang uh, case earlier on. It's not well known. I, 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 don't, I don't think I wrote about it. In, I, I did write about it in my book, but not, I gave it any detail, really. But, you know, in the immediate aftermath of that, the far right came for me. They, what they, what they, I damaged their narrative. Their narrative uh, was that, um, you know, all black people and brown people are sex abusers. And when they discovered that actually the prosecution was brought by a brown person, I damaged their narrative. And so they created a lot of fake news. This is 10 years ago. And, you know, I had far right thugs outside of my, outside of my window. I had to have a police officer stationed outside of my house for two weeks. Thank you, GMP. I had um, uh, my children could only go to school in a taxi for four months. I was, um, sent I, I was sent letters with feces in it i was uh, given seven, 17,000 emails and letters in one day calling for me to be sacked and deported i got every decision right but the only attacks on me were simply utterly but because of racism if i had been a white chief prosecutor uh, he he would have been celebrated lauded carried on their shoulders up and down the street but because i damaged the narrative that the far right had created around these cases um, they came for me. That was the worst example, and I have no doubt whatsoever, Simone, that had it not been for the networks of people, of people around me, my colleagues and my staff, I would have given up. Uh, you know, I came that close to quitting. Um, and but, it, but you know, as strange as it may sound, that's the professional. Obviously, I've been beaten black and blue physically uh, by racists uh, in the past. But you know, that event in 2012 came as close as it ever has been for me actually quitting this whole work. But do you think that was one of the, you know, that experience, that vile experience that you, your family had to suffer? Was that one of the drivers for you putting that on on paper? Uh, it was, but it was um, strange. I mentioned Theresa May twice now. Um, I, when, when she was Home Secretary, she uh, had a conversation, I had a conversation with her. She said, Nazir, how can there be structural racism when you are the chief prosecutor? And I said... Have you got 10 minutes? <laughs> and I reeled off some of the incidents I've just mentioned and, and, and many others that will be familiar, and less, some less um, obvious ones. And uh, to, go, to her credit, she went away and said, oh, okay, I didn't realise. Uh, so what I what I picked up on is that there are hundreds of people who are people of colour in senior leadership roles, all of whom are somehow being used as an example of how there isn't racism in this world, but all of whom have suffered mountains of racism. 
So I thought, let's hear their voices. In the same way the prosecutor was about the voices of victims, this is the voices of race victims who have achieved. So I've interviewed, strange as I may sound, I interviewed the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he told me about um, the issues that the church have. I interviewed politicians, I've interviewed uh, arts and crafts, uh, culture, sport, and every profession, every uh, area of life, Simone, you will find people who are supposedly reached the top, but um, who haven't been vaccinated against racism. You know, they have no protection against it and they're still suffering it more so perhaps because it's less it's more subtle and less and, and less sophisticated. But nonetheless, Sanjeev Bhaskar, who um, you will know, the actor who played uh, the doctor and he was in um, uh, uh, Goodness Gracious Me and other other areas. He said to me, uh, you know, this is a man who's been an actor for 40 odd years. He said, I went for a role and the casting director, white casting director, told me I didn't have the, a strong, a strong enough Indian accent. And Sanjeev goes, I've been an Indian all my life, you know? How, what makes you know that... And he didn't get that role. And you know, that's an example. And Shabna Gulati, who was in Coronation Street and Dinner Ladies, and she, she retells her stories. Uh, there are stories after stories which I hope people will resonate with people, which will help them understand how racism operates in 2022 and beyond, but also what can be done differently. You know, diversity for me is not about names and quotas, numbers and quotas. It's about the quality of decision-making. One of my other roles, Simone, is um, helping London Fire Brigade and carrying out their review, which I will complete in November. And that, you know, that flew out of the Grenfell fire, which uh, was led to the terrible death of 72 people, uh, mainly from minorities, including 18 children. And uh, it struck me when I spoke to the families uh, over and over again, how if the families had been involved in the decision making on what the cladding on that building was, they would not have put the poorest, most flammable cladding. But because they weren't involved in the decision making, if the people most impacted by something are not involved in decision making, then guess what? The decision making is going to be yeah, and uh, ultimately leading to 72 deaths. So, you know, that's what diversity for me is about. It's about having the right voices, critical and others, people who are expert, people who are impacted by what ultimately your decision may, may be in the room. You know, and unfortunately, we're not in the room right and, uh, now. And that's the thing that we've been, you know, that we talk about the levelling up agenda. You know, it's actually not just about, it's about, we talk about having, you know, more women at the table. We talk about having your pe young people at the table. We talk about having, you know, a female-led and black Asian minority-led businesses at the table. It's not, it's not just one thing. It's not like pie that we have to have a representative of each. It's not, it's, it's absolutely having that representation. So, Final question, and we're already overrunning, but I don't care. This I could charge you. We need, we need that. We need episode two. What is next for you? Uh, you know, it's given, given what you said about me being a disruptor. I, I know I'm a disruptor. I know I'm a, I'm a convener. I, I know I'm an advocate for change. I need to use and leverage all the talents and uh, relationships I've built. So uh, I, I'm going international. I'm going global, <laughs> but I know, also I'm going very local. You know, I'm a strong supporter of the Northern uh, People's Powerhouse. I'm very much a believer in, uh, you know, being the Chancellor of Massachusetts University gives me an enormous opportunity, really. To, uh, it's a blank piece of paper, 44,000 students, 14,000 staff, 25 Nobel Prize winners. You know, it's a great opportunity to use all the facilities and the services the university have for good in whatever way I think I can. And you know where it'll be. around. It'll be around gender rights. It'll be around equalities more generally. So I'm going to, 
leverage all the skills and, and opportunities I've been given and continue to do so. And the strangest thing, Simone, is next week I am 60 years old, right? Now, even I can't believe I'm 60 years old, but uh, I mark it by saying I'm recommitting myself to ensuring that this world is fairer than it's ever been. So hopefully you've not heard the last of me. Oh, well, I hope not. I absolutely know. Happy birthday for next week as well. Um, and uh, really look forward to catching up with you as well in your new role at the university as well, because we're in our power collective world. We're passionate about um, really shifting and impacting on social value as well. But... Oh, you know what? I could chat to you all day and I know everyone has the same feeling when they chat with you. Thank you so no, much, Azir. Thank all of you for tuning in today. If you love our episodes, please let us know. Please join us on our social media channels, North Power Women on Twitter and Northern Power Women on all the others and let us know what you think. Go old school. Drop us an email, podcast at Northern Power Women. And a, le- a letter, carry a pigeon, who knows? Um, oh. <laughs> Join us next Monday when I'll be joined by another wonderful role model from the Northern Power Women community. My name's Simone and you've been listening to a Northern Power Women podcast, a What Goes on Media production. Oh, yeah.